This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Euro Graps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we're back to talk about all the exciting things that have been happening in the last fortnight on the British and European wrestling scene. Now normally I have absolute freedom to talk about whatever I want. Uh, I could do deep dives into the Hungarian wrestling scene, we could go watch a show in a school and I really wanted to talk about a show in a library on this episode but it's just one of those fortnights where my hands are kind of tied a little bit. Um, One in a good way, and another in bad, <laughs> I don't know, I really do feel like my hands are tied in another way. Because on the one hand, we had RevPro's 10th anniversary show, which happened, ironically, while I was recording the last episode. And I, I don't normally worry about that sort of thing with RevPro, because I think if I record while they're on, well, it's going to be a good week or so before they get the show up, and I'm not going to be able to talk about it anyway. I've learned through years and years and years of covering them for Voices of Wrestling, that you can't plan around RevPro uploading shows. You know, when they uh, put the weekly assignments up for the for the reviews, and I'll say, hey, I'm, I'll do this RevPro show, and I'll be asked, oh, when do you think it'll be? So they can sort the scheduling out, and I'll just go, it's ready whenever Andy says it's ready. But ironically, they got it out the day after. So I recorded on the Saturday, which was annoying anyway, because I recorded late. And then they got the Saturday show up on the Sunday. I nearly, I nearly said not to upload it and and, and go back and, and redo it and talk about that opening night last time. But I'm glad I did it for a couple of reasons. One, that episode was purely really about NXT UK and how rubbish it is and and all the weird feelings that we've got now it's gone and none of them are good it's all bad feelings um and if you listen to that that did really well and if you if you've stuck around then welcome um this will be a bit more of a typical show in a, in a lot of ways um so i hope you you enjoy it and you stick around um but i'm glad that i didn't go back and re-record because a lot of people came out of that weekend feeling really positive so a lot of really great stuff on it uh, it got a five-star main event from Dave Meltzer in The Observer. I'm not quite as positive on the weekend, if I'm honest. I am positive in parts, and there were things about it that I absolutely loved, but there were some things that I was a little bit shaky on. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear, to hear if you were there and you loved it and if you agree with me or not, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in due course. Uh I tell you what, though, it seems reasonable that Andy's going to be doing live shows, doesn't it? Like, do you remember when that came out in the in the Observer that they changed their VOD, that they'd switched to this new system, which is a lot better. Uh, I'm not. I think I said this at the time, but I'm sort of hesitant to throw roses at something that is basically doing something that is is functional now. You know, back when it was on 
was it Pivot shared the old system and it was you couldn't skip forward 10 seconds or, or, or anything or back 10 seconds didn't remember where you were up to and now this does and I, I feel that yes it's better that we have those things but I'm not giving Red Pro a round of applause for giving basic functionality to their on-demand service that I'm paying for uh, especially when the production values are still what they are and we'll, again we'll, we'll talk about that 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 later on I do wonder if we'll get live shows, though. That'd be really interesting. It'd be great to do kind of a live watch-along with some people in the Discord. Go to the Voices of Wrestling Discord, and there's a Eurograps Express room. Got a lovely little community in there, like a, a group of absolute top people. Uh, and it seems like half of us are at a show, and half of us are at home nearly every every time. We're up and down the country. Some of us go to the Northern shows. Some of us go to the York Hall shows. And it'd be good to sort of watch it as a group, maybe. That, that'd be pretty cool. But... I don't know. Live just seems like a massive ask, doesn't it? I, I mean, who knows? He's clearly got plans in place. And I, I think there's a rumour mill going around that they're kind of using this new VOD as a bit of a fresh start because I know Andy had health problems uh, that he put on Twitter. That's not private information. That, that's public information. I don't know anything. Um, and he, I think he's using this as a fresh start to kind of go forward a little bit more consistently which is good you know the day after the day after is 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 brilliant especially because the production's still crap anyway so you know what's the point in sitting around messing with it and trying to just put it out the product that you put it out doesn't look great so you might as well put it out quickly and we'll, we'll get something from it the other thing that we got to talk about and i was i was really on the fence about this wwe clash at the castle didn't end up being my favourite castle, if I'm honest. That's still Duffus Castle up in Scotland. My parents used to take me up there when we were kids because I got an auntie and uncle that lived up there. Uh, it's kind of like near Inverness in Scotland. And there's just this castle called Duffus Castle and it's in the middle of a field. It's not part of like, well, I don't think it's part of like the National Trust or, or anything like that. You can just go up to it and bomb, you, bomb your way around it. And I remember that we stayed in caravans and my mum would obviously get really annoyed with the kids. So my dad would end up going, I'll give you a break. And he'd take the kids up to Duffer's Castle. And me and my siblings would bomb our way around it for an hour, wearing ourselves out. And like I said before, I'm disabled. I've got spider bifida. And there's no handrails. One slip, and I would have been crippled for life. Uh, but I guess, you know, that, that was the 90s, wasn't it? <laughs> it felt like, looking back now, the 90s feel like a wild time. And I'm not sure it was better. I don't know, I'm on the fence. Anyway, Clash at the Castle happened. And I was, like I say, I was really on the fence about talking about it. I, I was I was thinking, oh, I don't know. Because the whole point of this show, and, and, and I think the reason why I'm building up a bit of a, a, a decent listenership, is because we position it as a late night chat with friends. And I record these in the middle of the night, like it's one o'clock in the morning on the Saturday. And we talk about stuff that I'm interested in and I've seen and I've got takes on. And in a lot of ways, modern WWE, and this is something that I discovered, is really hard to have takes on. It's It's been the same now for so long that... It's really hard to have an opinion. And yes, they've been, there's been recent changes, obviously behind-the-scenes changes, but we're analysing the on-screen products. The behind-the-scenes changes are relevant, and we'll talk about them when they're interesting. But ultimately, what matters to me and what matters to this podcast is what you're putting out on the screen, the wrestling, what we can see. I'm not saying the mise-en-scent isn't relevant, but 
that can be absolutely hectic and amazing and interesting. But if what's happening on the screen is the same as it always has been, and it basically is, that's the thing that's important about WWE. It basically is. This idea that Triple H, the second coming of Christ, has meandered his way into back into professional wrestling, having risen from the dead to completely revolutionise WWE because um, Michael Cole can mention triple tails now. Like I, I just I find that again. It's like we were saying about the um, the Red Pro production value. It's I can't really give them credit for doing the absolute basics. You know, we're talking about a company, and, and this this just blows my mind. We're talking about a company that is getting credit for saying the word wrestling. People are actually giving them credit for saying the word wrestling. I don't know. I I just, I I find that really, really strange. Like that 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 is even something that we, we feel worthy of, of of giving praise to. I don't know. I, I think that that was a big criticism of my NXT UK rant last week, wasn't it? That, people expect praise and reward for going to a company that won't even say the name wrestling. That's you. I feel like that's a real bare minimum. And I've got to take a bit of an L about this Clash at the Castle stuff, if I'm completely honest, because I dismissed it. I thought, my exact thought, and I, I said this, I'm on record, I can't deny it now, who's going to go and watch that? Who's going to pay those kind of crazy prices? Well, it turns out quite a lot of people wanted to go and see it. And looking at the arena at the time, I, I don't know if I blame them, to be honest with you. It felt like a big event. You know, when the press junket started, when when you've got Triple H talking to Giles Brandreth on this morning and being interviewed by Vernon Kay, you think, oh, maybe this is a big deal. When they're... <laughs> When they're doing an Undertaker exhibition at Cardiff Castle, you know we're in business. I mean, imagine going to that. I mean, what's that phrase they use on the website all the time? The uh, If it was in my backyard, I'd close the curtains. I imagine going to an Undertaker exhibition. Like, just all these TikToks going around, because of course it's people who are on TikTok. Uh, and it's, you know, you'd stand next to the Undertaker's jacket. Oh, do you remember when The Undertaker was in the ministry? Yeah, I do. It was rubbish. Do you remember when he decided to drive a motorbike? Yeah, I do. It was rubbish. You can't Peter K The Undertaker. You can't pretend it was good because it wasn't. It never... I, do you know, actually, that's sort of thing. The Undertaker was good when I was seven and it was all like the purple glove versus grey glove and then the Mankind Boiler Room Brawl stuff when I was seven. I I just, The Undertaker for me is a kayfabe-breaking dork. That's the problem, that he is, the idea that he formed the Bone Street crew with his friends and they all got matching tattoos and he started wearing UFC gloves because he's a real shooter, pew pew. And he did he did wrestler court, you know, if you if you took someone's butty out the 
<laughs> out the Stamford Fridge. He'd get taken to wrestler court, and he'd say, "Oh no, you've got you've got to run the ropes like a rookie." You know, he's just. I, I think I think he's pathetic. So when he's booming his way down to the ring in his biker jacket, pretending he's going to kick some ass and don't tread on me and all that, I just think, "Oh, what a loser! What an absolute loser!" First Hell of the Cell was good, though. That That's his best match. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about The Undertaker. You don't, who, who, who listens to Eurograps Express to hear about The Undertaker? You listen to Eurograps Express to avoid The Undertaker. Uh, good old Taker. Mark Calloway, you loser. Anyway, um, for that reason, I am going to review Clash at the Castle because I have got some interesting things to talk about and, and some thoughts about it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them at the end um, so I'm going to do the Red Pro stuff. We'll talk about the two Red Pro shows, the 10th anniversary. We're going to have a little bit about Red Pro moving forward. I think that's more appropriate for Red Pro this 10th anniversary, given the show. Um, it's not about the history of Red Pro this 10th anniversary. It's very much about looking forward. And I think we'll we'll talk about what that future looks like. And then we'll do Clash at the Castle at the end. So if you if you listen to the Red Pro stuff... And that's why, because that's why most people listen to this show is for that sort of thing. And if you if you're not interested in the WWE, you can bounce. Because I'll tell you something, I found it difficult watching it. So maybe you did watch it, and you just want to hear like a run through of what it was about. So that that'd be pretty useful for you. But I have to admit, it was a, it was a difficult watch. I think part of the problem was the time. You know, people talk about how great it is that we we've had this UK pay per view because sorry, premium live event. Because of the time that it was on, that it started at, well, pre-show was at five, uh, which I, I watched for some reason, and uh, the main show was at six. So you're like, oh yeah, I can watch it, I don't have to stay up late. But actually, I never stayed up late for WWE pay-per-views anyway. The sort of thing that you can watch in dead time, certainly the later ones, more recent ones, it's, you know, like if you get home from work early or, you know, you, you've got a spare couple of hours on a Saturday morning. I feel like dumping it in the middle of a Saturday evening is some real like premium time, you know. Like that's that's good. That's good quality, solid time that Saturday evening. And putting you putting WWE on the telly uh, was a little bit. I don't know. I felt like I wasted a little bit. It didn't help. We've, we've obviously we've got to get the food and drink thing in. I've I've not. I've had one drink tonight. I've had I've, I've had one alcoholic drink which is usually my limit, to be fair. But the mistake that I made was that I've had this drink, and I don't know why they've called it this. They're like The can's got like stained glass windows from churches on it. And the name of the drink is Your Final Dressing Gown. So you've got like church imagery, and then this really specific sort of detail of your own death. And I drunk that slowly whilst watching a premium live event. I don't know if that's influenced my review. I, I don't know. We'll find out. But anyway, let's get to it because I'm excited to talk about these 10th anniversary shows. So let's go dance half and talk about that London. So we're back in York Hall. We know it's going to be an exciting show, but we can't start talking about the wrestling without talking about the production. And actually, I think the production was slightly better. I think York Hall looked good. It was lit properly. 
a little bit too bright, I think, at times. You know, you could sort of see people milling around in the bar at points, which, I mean, I'm nitpicking with that, though, because actually, visually, it looked really good. The sound, however, was as bad as it has ever been, to the point where, at multiple points in this show, you couldn't hear what they were saying. And Mad Kurt was on commentary for this first show, and I think that's a really great spot for him. Uh, I've been critical of Mad Kurt in the ring. I don't think he's a very good wrestler. I don't like the comedy shtick that he does in the context of a wrestling match. But actually, the comedy shtick that he does in terms of commentary and doing little sort of sketches almost like he did on this on this show, which we'll talk about later, really works. And that idea, the keyboard warrior, and he's 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 a face now. You know, he comes out and he's people think he's funny, and, and they've leaned into that. And I like that about it. I, I think it this new Mad Kurt I'm really into. Uh, but I couldn't hear what he was saying half the time, and it was actually more annoying than not being able to hear what they were saying because it was like at various points in this show, the audio was so low but it was just high enough that you just had kind of a mumbling in the background. It's like when you're trying to watch something on the telly and your wife's mates come round and they're having a chat and you just think, well, you go in the dining room. You're not even watching it. Go in the dining room, but you can't say that, can you? Because then you'll appear rude in front of your guests and, you know, your wife has a go at you afterwards. It's just, you know, it's, it's that sort of, that's the feeling that it gave me. This uncomfortable feeling that you just, you know, you want people to just go away. So like that that was what it was. He just either shut up or turn it up. It was the it was the worst of both worlds, the commentary. Actually the the quality of the actual commentary when you could hear it, as in the words that were being expressed, fine. Good even. But I, I don't get it. Turn it up. Like when I listen back to this, and there are points in this sometimes when I record a little bit too low. I don't have the game setting, and I'm no expert on this, and I know my audio quality isn't the best. But I can listen to it and go, oh, "I'll just turn that up a little bit." I don't get it. I, I don't. Get, I, I just don't. That's what it is. It's frustrating the sound problems because why are they? Why anyway? Whatever. I've done that rant before. Opening night, we had Connor Mills against Tony Deppen. And Connor Mills is going to be a very sort of recurring point, to, a, a recurring talking point on these reviews because Connor Mills played a really significant part over these over these shows. And it's really interesting that he's doing double duty here. He's done double duty in Manchester, but that was more of a, you know, he won something to get into the main event. Whereas this is, he's actually booked in two matches. And we're starting to see some parallels between him and Oku, aren't we? This story between him and Oku, and it all feeds into this, is so great. I think the story, and this is something we're going to have to keep coming back to because it's told over the weekend. The story between Oku and Mills is one of the best things that Red Pro have ever done. I think it's been absolutely fantastic that they have taken a simple story, told it, over a long time. And it's a story that is absolutely mired in pro wrestling cliches. And they've managed to take a story and tell it in a real way. Do you know the comic Watchmen? And that was so revered at the time in the 90s. 
because of the concept of it. And it had heroes dressed in latex. And yes, there was all the social commentary and it was it fit into the context of the time so perfectly. And it was a great story and all that business. But what made The Watchmen so interesting is this overall concept that was, what if this actually happened? You look at a Batman, a man who decides to wear lycra and fight crime and be a vigilante. What if that actually happened? What if people actually did that? They'd get tired. They'd make mistakes. They'd get capes caught in revolving doors and get themselves killed. The people who do it would be absolute, absolute, absolute freaks. Weirdos, complete nutters. And this is what they've that the approach that they've taken with this story, I think. They've taken this this wrestling cliche of tag team partners that can't exist together anymore and just told it in a very realistic way. And and, and done it in a way that this is probably how it would actually happen within reason. I mean, it would probably happen on, like, a text message, wouldn't it? But you know what I mean? It feels real, and it feels believable. And this match, these little moments play into it. Mills doing double duty like Oku always does double duty. The amount of times that they've reiterated over and over again how many times Oku has had to do double duty for RevPro. He's been the bastion. You know, Oku's the, the ace of the company. He might not be the champion. I mean, I don't know ace. It depends how you want to define it, doesn't it? It's ace in the storyline sense. Oku is the Red Pro's guy. Maybe I'm, Maybe the terminology just doesn't fit because I think if we're talking ace, it's probably Osprey, isn't it? But you know what I mean? He's the Red Pro guy. And Mills has been with him every single step of the way. But not quite. He's always been that one step behind. And I think what they've allowed us to do is really invest in a wrestler who, like Connor Mills isn't setting the world on fire. And I like Connor Mills. I think he's a good workman. He's a good journeyman. I really, really like him. I think he does a lot of great things. But he isn't the sort of person that you're going to put in the main event at York Hall. You know, think of the last York Hall show when Osprey um, had to, was ill and he, he couldn't wrestle Suzuki. You're not going to put Mills up against Suzuki. And what does RevPro do? They use that. They tell a story with Connor Mills that exists in that context. He is a step behind Oku. He is number two to his tag team partner. But is Connor Mills going to be happy with that? No, of course he isn't going to be happy with that. Is that going to cause tension? Of course it's going to cause tension. He's going to look at someone like Oku and say, well, I train just as hard as you. I do the double duty like you do. When we get these tag team successes or defeats, I'm just as responsible as you are. Yet you're the one who's getting WrestleMania bookings. You're the one who's doing the media tours, talking to everybody after having the matches with Osprey. You're the one when they need someone to step up and have a main event against Oku, uh, against Suzuki. You're the one who gets to step up into that position. It's, you know, the idea that Mills looks in the mirror and probably says, well, what about me? What a human story. And do you know what makes it the most human? 
And this is what makes it really hit home for me. Of course it's not going to be Connor Mills. Of course it's going to be Oku. Oku's a charisma vortex. Not a vortex, that's a bad thing. Oku's a charisma whirlwind. Mills might be a better technical wrestler. I don't know. I feel like they're fairly similar. But that's what's going to feed into the story, isn't it? That Mills and Oku, in terms of wrestling ability, are probably similar. Just one's gone down one path and one's gone down the other. One's Mickey Johnson, one's Eddie Lyons. And that's not... Oh, I love I love stories where everybody's right from their own perspective. That's why I think Romeo and Juliet is so underrated. Everyone has a cup. But like, think of that story. Tybalt is right from his perspective. He does the right thing through his eyes. That's what makes great stories. You know, you've got um, Blade Runner. You've got Roy Batty. He's right to feel the way he does. Deckard is right to feel the way he does. But those two different truths are opposing. And I'm using great stories on purpose here because I think this was a great story. The match against Tony Deppen wasn't great, though. It was all right. <laughs> to bring us back down to earth. I mean, it was part of a greater story, but the problem with the match wasn't Mills. The problem with the match was Deppen. Deppen is a better wrestler than he allows himself to be. And maybe this is... This is me putting my preferences. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm reviewing a show. Of course, it's me putting my preferences on it. I think he lacks around too much. I think he. I don't think he takes it seriously. And I think if he took things a little bit more seriously, he'd be a little bit more successful. It feels like a cookie-cutter American indie wrestler. I feel like if I log on to IWTV, I see 20 Tony Deppens. And that's ultimately what will always stop me from being completely invested in him. Because what they did here in terms of the work, I thought was a really good idea. They just came out and we're going to have this exciting, not quite spot fest, but have that big indie style match with lots of cool moves that got the crowd excited. But then he does like kip up comedy that kills the rhythm of it. And you just think, well, why are you doing that? What are you doing that for? You were having a good match. And that's going to be the theme for Deppen. And I think it's his theme in Red Pro. He has a re- really great moments, proper grappling as well. Really technical stuff that's impressive and exciting. And then he'll do something stupid and you think, why? What did you do that for? Like I say, there was lots of great back and forth in this. The, you know, it was high action. Uh, it was a functional indie match. The problem was it was a little bit too long. I think if the point of this match was to get people excited and to get people into the show, it needed to have a little bit more brevity to it. And I'm talking, you know, probably five minutes, four minutes. There were just things in this, like that kip-up spot, that didn't serve the story. And that seems to be a thing in, in, in every storytelling medium, isn't it? If, so, if something isn't serving the story and it's not developing character, it's not moving things forward, then take it out. The kip-up spot didn't really do anything it was it was sort of over, I guess, but it was opening match excitement as well. I think I don't I don't think it's uh, you know take that out and it would have been a much better match. Next up, we have Maya Matthews against Chantel Jordan, and this is a weird one because this was 
for the number one contendership for the Southside Women's title. And I, I completely forgot about the Southside Women's title. Red Pro bought Southside and they, they've been, uh, what's the word, unifying the belts. And there's this, this women's belt hanging around. I, I don't know. Are we wasting time doing things with the Southside Women's title? Alex Winter's out. Uh, the Red Pro Women's Champion. She's injured. I, I don't think she's going to be out for very long from what I've seen on Twitter. So it kind of makes sense to have something bubbling. And I feel like what we're doing with this little story with the Southside Women's title is we're kind of having the worst of both worlds. Because what they're doing is there's this match to be the number one contender. On the next show, the next day, there'll be the title match. And then the winner of that match will go on to face Alex Windsor. Now, I know Alex Windsor's coming back and they're thinking, well, we might as well do the match. But actually, I think if you're going to do it this way, there was a bit of an opportunity here to get Chantel Jordan over that we missed. Because to me, Chantel Jordan is somebody that they should be going all in on. Because I think she's brilliant. She's very young. She's, you know, she's clearly a little bit rough around the edges. But because of the way she works... It works. She's a bruiser. She's a fighter. She looks like she could absolutely kick the living daylights out of me. And I like that. Though she's got a natural swagger about her, a natural confidence. All the little things are in place with her. The facials, the reactions, the way she moves is all very solid. And I think that she's going to be somebody with experience and with work and with time is going to be somebody that Red Pro can really, really use. And if you're going to give her this time, I really did think that this is probably the time, I suppose, to do it. You know, she's 19 years old, but she's got four years experience. So she's, you know, she's got experience in a lot of places as well. You know, she's she's been around the country quite a bit she's done she's working in a lot of different promotions and that's a really good sign i think somebody is working in lots and lots of different places and you can see that the things are just starting to connect and things are just starting to to make sense with her and i feel like they've kind of hot shotted her a bit this weekend they've had her win the the challenge but then uh, sorry win the sort of the number one contenders thing but then lose the challenge and i thought why didn't they just give her the Southside belt and then have two women's belts running concurrently and build Chantel Jordan up? I know the argument is that Red Pro don't seem to be able to book the women that they need. And the, the, you know, the women's scene is positive in a lot of places, but if we need to be honest, it's not what it, 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 it could be. And I think this was a little bit of an opportunity to do that in Red Pro because say you've got these two championships running side by side. Have Chantel Jordan squashing people, absolutely battering people in a way that she could sell in an absolutely brilliant way. And at the same time, you could have Alex Windsor battering people as well. Get her in Steven, he's squashing people in five minutes. And then have the two come together and have a really great match. And Chantel Jordan could lose that and still get over and all that business. But I, I just feel like by having a telling that story and compacting it into a weekend didn't really give it the time to breathe. And I think it's a shame because I think Chantel Jordan deserved better. 
this was a, a good match. I don't think Maya Matthews is, is great. I think, again, talking about that story that could have been, you had Alex Windsor come out with Maya Matthews and watch it. Just, that'd have been really good, wouldn't it, to be able to play into that. The fact that Alex Windsor backed the wrong horse almost and, and, and realised that, oh no, this contender is somebody I've, this Chantel Jordan is someone I've really got to compete with. But, it was what it was. I think Matthews, I think what it is with her is she's not quite got the level of, of natural storytelling ability that Chantel Jordan has. There were times when her fight backs and her resilience felt very forced and very unnatural in a lot of ways. And I, 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 that that's something that, that comes with experience, I think. And it, that, that's not a criticism. It just it, it kind of just is what it is, isn't it? You know, I, I think she's not somebody we can dismiss, but I think Chantel Jordan is basically ready. Uh, what she needs now is the opportunity to 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 be in a program, and I don't think the weekend gave her that opportunity when it when it really could have. Next up, we had Luke Jacobs against Francesco Akira. Um, I disagree with the flagship on this one. I think Jacob should be a cruiserweight. He does sit in the middle. I really do. He's, he's, he's in a bit of a funny situation with his look because you put him you put him with cruiserweights and he looks too big. You put him with heavyweights and he looks too small. And he is, is he 22, 21? They mentioned it was his birthday this weekend and they mentioned how young he was. And he's still got time to grow. I mean, I'm stockier than ever. You know, <laughs> I look at back. Oh my! Look at pictures when I was 21, and it doesn't even look like the same person. So he's still got time to change and develop, and we'll see which way he goes. But I think for now he should be a cruiserweight because he's having his best matches in the cruiserweight division. I think it is believable. And when someone in the crowd told him that, you know, he, he did a promo and they told him that he's. Uh, <laughs> what division are you? He had some choice words for them, and I agreed with him. You know, I absolutely agreed with what he said to that person. He was really great to see Luke Jacobs being so over. I, I do think there was an element of the hometown advantage, hometown advantage with the Manchester show because they really played into that, as they should have done as well. You know, it was a story on the table for them that they had to take, and I really think that. I, I was really worried maybe that that wouldn't translate to London. I mentioned that in the Manchester review, but it did. He's over because he's good. And seeing Luke Jacobs in this position was really refreshing because he has found that piece that he was missing. And I realised what it was. It was confidence and experience. It, he was a, there was never a moment where he looked lost. There was never a moment where he looked like he was thinking. Everything was just smooth and natural. And it, obviously it helps he's in the ring with someone like a, uh, Francesco Akira, who is a, who is a, a, a worldwide level talent. But it just really showed how far Luke Jacobs has come and how he's become a real stalwart of this British scene. It's going to be really interesting when the young guns are back to see what happens. And I hope, I really hope they don't do some weird tag team implode thing. I, I hope they get a little bit of a run. I hope they do something similar to what they did with Destination Everywhere with them. But it's going to be interesting. This told a great story, this match. You know, in the introductions at the start, they did neither men took their eyes off each other and they were staring into each other's eyes. And uh, it was great. 
you know, Akira was, was fantastic here. The way he plays the heel is so good. You know, he does things like make motions to set up a chop battle, but then rakes the eyes. And it never comes across in like a really cliche heel way. He's not doing the, the baddie cackle after he's done it. He's doing it in a way that, look, I'm smart, I'm cleverer than you. And I love clever heels. And he can play that really, really well. Obviously, Luke played the brutal bruiser and it, it was great. There was a, I tell you what, there was a horrible moment in this where um, Akira was not caught on a dive. And that was a that <laughs> was a, a little bit of a shaky moment. But overall, I thought this match was really, really good. I think it, I, I'm interested to see what they do with Luke Jacobs going forwards. I think similar to the women's division, you need some definitive wins because this was a back and forth. And it's appropriate that it was a back and forth because it was a big uh it was a big event against a big wrestler, something people were excited for, and, and you wanted to give them the, that feeling that they've seen something significant. But at the same time, I, I think Luke Jacobs needs some solidifying wins now. He needs to go on a real run. He can't quite do the epic every time like Oku can, because Oku could play that underdog in every match that he's in, whereas Jacobs, that's not really appropriate to his style or his character. He needs to start battering people, I think. Let's give him some challenges of the week in, like when you go to Stevenage or whatever. Just feed some people to him. Doesn't have to be a squash, but feed some people to him. I tell you what, there was a line from Mad Kurt on commentary that I absolutely loved. And I've written it down and I can't remember the reference, so you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> he said, Shades of Taylor Swift, and someone said a Taylor Swift lyric, and I thought it was hilarious. And I can't remember what it was, and I'm kicking myself now because I should have wrote it down. Uh, great match, this one. Uh, the coast to coast is weird from Luke Jacobs. That's something that I did notice. He can't quite do it. And I, I really feel like there's going to be a time when he doesn't land it. So he either needs, and he almost didn't in his match on night two. So he needs to either get better at it or drop it. Because you don't need to do, a, he doesn't need to do a coast to coast. He doesn't, it's not like he's missing a big impressive move in his arsenal. So either do it properly or don't do it at all, I think. Next we had Aminu against Suji. Oh, this was a this was a strap match. Do we want to see strap matches? I I I I don't. To be honest with you, I think strap matches are incredibly contextual, and that context has passed. It's something from a wrestling age gone by in a wrestling culture that's not Rev Pro. And I, I just think it was kind of a stipulation for the sake of there being a stipulation. I thought the Suji Amino story was told really well in Manchester. A lot of people were higher on that match, the Manchester match, than I was. I thought it was really good. A lot of people thought it was great. It was satisfying. The baby face... Uh, as I'm saying, the baby face went over. Did I? Did, did he? Either way, it was a definitive match. And this was 11 minutes and 46 seconds. This was one of the shorter matches on the show, and it felt like one of the longest. I'm a really... I'm going to come over all AEW critic here. I have deep concerns about Shota Umino. I think, I think he's going to lead people to be disappointed. Because there's this aura about Umino where he comes across as being really exciting and he's got the stuff with Moxley and there's a bit of an online buzz around him 
And I don't know if that buzz is necessarily reciprocated in the ring. I'm yet to see him have a really great match. And I think that depends on how you feel about the Manchester match. But the fact that I can't really remember who won it. And I was live. And I do a podcast. I think he won. Yeah, he did. He won. I got it right. No, he didn't. He lost. There you go. That says it all, doesn't it? I'm not even going to go and edit that out. I think that's important. <coughs> Other podcasters would be embarrassed, but no, I'm doubling down. <laughs> I, I, I'm using my error to prove that I'm actually right. Uh, yeah, this match was all right, but obviously it had the tug of war, it had the choke spots. It was just, it all just felt a little bit pointless. And I think because it was pointless, I kind of switched off a little bit. They had the decency to keep the pace up at the start, but once they started having to hit the four corners, it became a little bit. Um, a little bit gauche, I think. Um, we did get a lovely treat, though. We got to see New Japan's own, a New Japan star, Gideon Gray, wearing a lovely jacket that reeked of Brexit. It was that lovely kind of hunting jacket, farmer's jacket from men who work in the city. Like, Gideon Gray knows what he's doing. He's a, he's a brilliant character. And I'm telling you something. I'm going to say this now, and I'm saying this to someone who doesn't get a vote. And I'm also saying this to someone who hasn't seen any of his New Japan stuff yet. But I know he's going to kill it. And if he doesn't get any votes for best on interviews in the Wrestling Observer Awards, it's a travesty. Because he should have got votes for the last five years. I'm so, so chuffed that Gideon Gray is getting this stage. Because everybody who sees him, everybody who watches RevPro knows how great he is. And don't tell me that he's not the greatest wrestler in the world. I know that's kind of the point as well. That's part of it. He's not winning championships. We're not being told that he's a great wrestler. The story is, is he thinks he's a great wrestler. And he tells that story brilliantly. Sorry, I don't know why I'm shouting about Gideon Gray. I just think he's great. He's one of those wrestlers, and I, I don't really get this very often with people. I want people to see what I see in him. I want people to watch him and, and enjoy him and get as much pleasure from him. He's the as I have, because he's the Rick Mayle of wrestling. He's the I, go back and have a look if you're interested at some of my Red Pro reviews from back in the day. And I wrote paragraphs about him. I just he's such a great character. I think he's brilliant. And I think he's gonna work really well in New Japan. I do. I I, I think it's amazing that he's getting this opportunity. Anyway, next up. Strong open weight championship, Aussie Open versus Destination Everywhere. You see those two names and you think, oh yes, this is going to be a match, isn't it? This is going to be something that's going to be great. Aussie Open are the best tag team in the world. And I know that sounds like a big claim. I don't think they're one of the best of all time. I think, obviously, there are tag teams like the Young Bucks who have better resumes over the career. But on this day, on the 3rd of September 2022, if you're asking me to say who are the best tag team in the world, it's Aussie Open. They're better than FTR. They're better than FTR. Now, the interesting thing about this match is the outcome is guaranteed, isn't it, really? You know, it's for the strong open weight that Aussie Open aren't losing it to Destination Everywhere. You know, Connor Mills isn't turning up on Strong, and neither's Michael Oku. You know, it's it's just not going to work. So they knew 
that they had to lean into this story and that they were telling with Destination Everywhere. And as a chapter in that story, this was brilliant. I feel like in the Clash at the Castle review, we're going to talk about WWE fans and what they think story is and what they think make, that, that company thinks makes a good story. Well, this is actually what makes a good story. There's little things like we said before, Mills is doing double duty. Mills insists on having his own entrance. There's the really obvious analysis there, isn't there, of there being, you know, the, the the fact that they're not cohesive as a team. But also, what it does is it allows us to see the juxtaposition between the two. Mills is given a welcoming reception. People like to see Mills. People know he's good. They know they can rely on him to have an interesting match. But when Oku comes out, he's a star. And it allows us to see the difference between the two. And I like that. I think that's a really interesting little thing to present to us. And Mill's insecurity dominated this match, or at least the first half of it. Because Mills was absolutely battered by Dunkzilla for a big, big portion of this match. He couldn't stop himself reacting to Fletcher when Fletcher was a little bit, you know, of his usual cocky self at the, on the apron. He couldn't stop himself reacting from it. He wouldn't tag Oku. You know, at one point, Dunkzilla was absolutely battering him and then threw him into his own corner to tag out to Oku. What a lovely little moment of story. What is that going to do to Connor Mills? To be absolutely humiliated by a better tag team and then to be thrown to Michael Oku, the man who he has been building and bubbling resentment for for years now and told to tag him in. What a brilliant little moment that was. What a clever little thing. A simple little thing that just breathed so much and had so much weight to it. And he wouldn't tag him. That's what I mean about this story being glad. What a great little thing to do. What a brilliant little moment. And then later on, Oku gets in. The crowd come alive. And Oku clears them out. Oku does what Mills couldn't. Mills deserves so much credit for this story. Like, I'm, I'm explaining this to you. At no point does it seem like Mills is brother-brother in his way through this. He's, he's committed to telling this story. And what a great story it is. I just, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant wrestling. And he... Mills later on, he tagged himself in, but then there was confusion. There was like, you know, he, he stuck his oar in and it kind of started to fall apart a little bit for Destination Everywhere. And it kind of makes you think, it presented questions like, what if Oku had a slightly better tag team partner? Would they actually be winning belts like this? Not just competing for it, winning them. Or is it a case of Mills is letting this story get into his head? Is the fact that he's tagging in when he shouldn't do, is that what's causing them not to win these belts? These are the sorts of questions that Mills is asking himself and you're invited into that story. I Honestly, maybe I'm over-egging this and you can tell me if I am. I think this has been fantastic, this story. They obviously lost. And 
What I liked about it, the end, is that Oku consoled him in a really patronising way. And, I, you know, that way, again, this is how clever it was. Oku clearly didn't mean to be patronising. They weren't trying to put across that Oku was patronising. But they put across the fact that Mills took it in a patronising way. He sort of put his arm around him and, you know, was never mind. And again, that's easy for Oku to say because Oku goes to WrestleMania weekend. Oku knows that when they need a York Hall main event, he's going to be the guy that Andy goes to. When Oku does double duty, it's because they need a star in the main event. When Mills did double duty, like in Manchester, he had to win a qualifying match to get into the main event. These little parallels that they're constantly showing us are fantastic. It's such a great story. Absolutely love it. I think it's been brilliant. And again, we'll be coming back to it later on. Then we're on to our main event. It's Bailey against Osprey. Bailey, I really like. I do think he's good. I have a bit of a ceiling with Bailey, though, and I, I talked about that at the Manchester show. I think there's a little bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to him that, I, that will always stop me from, you know, kind of getting into him as much. You know, it'll always kind of be a bit of a barrier for me, but I can recognise that that's not really a barrier for other people. Uh, Dave Meltzer gave this four and three quarters. That is way too high. I'm seeing these things going round about Will Ospreay and, and the amazing week that he's had with the trio stuff in AEW and the stuff he's in Japan. And they're including these Red Pro matches in there as, as being sort of these high four-star matches. This was probably four flat. It was it was good and it was entertaining. It was borderline great. But I, I think if if I'm being honest, I'm recommending it if you want to watch something from the show. But it's not like a must-see match by any stretch of the imagination. I like the presentation around it. You know, there was this idea of a split crowd. So half the people were into Rosprey, half the people were into Bailey, And I like that. It elevated it slightly. Um, again, maybe this was hurt by the fact that the... Uh, the, the um, the sort of the result was never in, I forgot the word then why the result was never in doubt you know he was a, Mike Bailey was obviously not going to win this what I did like about this is that the opening exchange was really simple I think with wrestlers like this there was sometimes a temptation to just go flip mode and that's great I'd have loved it if they did have gone flip mode but they did something a little bit different and they were both going for big strikes and big moves and I think by subverting expectations slightly it engaged me in it a little bit more uh the commentary was at its worst at this point, by the way. Because the, the crowd was so loud and into it, you couldn't really hear what the commentary was saying, but it was at that level that I was saying where it was just kind of an annoying, difficult level to, to even listen to, which, which which made it a little bit frustrating. Uh, the back third of this was were just big punctuation marks, big moves, knees looking absolutely brutal. Do you know what it made me think of? Actually, there was a flying knee at this. But what they did is they did it running towards the hard cam. And it made me realise how little you see that in wrestling. Like normally when you see people running the ropes, they do it side to side, don't they? And that's, I guess, is the the accepted way because, yeah, you can see the speed better. But actually the impact looks better going towards you and from you. The Chuckle Brothers angle, the Tamita U angle. 
don't know. I mean, I, I can imagine that there are workers and people in production listening to this going, that is probably one of the most basic things we have ever considered. And I can't believe it's took me 25 years of being a wrestling diehard fan to think about this. But there you go. That's my advice to you. <laughs> do, the, do the to me, to you angle a little bit more. Um one thing I did notice about this one is Osprey has the only good cutter in wrestling. Everyone else's cutters look rubbish and his looks great. A uh, little bit of a theme to this. It was really good. I think it was too long. And there was a promo at the end and I'm sure it was brilliant. I'm sure it was an amazing promo because I've seen transcripts of things that Will Osprey has said. But I just couldn't hear what he was saying. And I don't really get that one because I'm assuming the mic, well, I'm not assuming, I know, the mic will be going through a soundboard and into the speakers. So why can't they just get an out from the soundboard into something that can record it? I mean, in my band days, I we used to do that anyway as a matter of course. I don't really understand how the sound is, is that bad. Anyway. It is what it is. I mean, it, it just it, uh, you could sort of get the gist of it, and you know, you could go on Twitter and 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 see what he said. But he, that just, I don't. It was a good promo. It sounded like a really great promo. So I don't really get why we're in this position. So that was night one. I think the feeling from night one from people in the, in my Discord and and people on Twitter and, and and from friends that were there is that it was a really good show. And you know what it was? I think it depends how you feel about the main event. I mean, if you think that main event was four and three quarters, then you're going to think it was a great show. Uh, I'm not that high on it, but I still think this was a really great watch, especially that Destination Everywhere stuff. And I really think if you're a long-term fan who's been following this show, uh, following that story, I should say, you're going to be so rewarded by by what they were telling. It was an utterly, utterly brilliant, brilliant chapter in that story. And obviously, we're not at the end of it. They're going to be appearing on the next night. So we should probably get to that, shouldn't we? So we will briefly come back up north and then we will head back down to that London for a second time. So night two then, in theory, should be the more exciting uh, event. All roads kind of lead to this one. And we're starting with the next chapter in the Destination Everywhere story straight away. It's Greedy Souls against Destination Everywhere. It's nice to see Greedy Souls, actually. I don't know what happened to Brendan White. He seemed to disappear off the face of the earth, didn't he? He had that little thing with uh, British legend Doug Williams and then just sort of went. But I, I recently, actually, if you listened a, a few episodes ago, you'd have heard his, uh, about his match in, um, what's it called? In Chaos. And it was a great match. Um, so he's teaming with uh, Danny Jones, someone who, who also a stalwart of Chaos, all Japan's own uh, Danny Jones, which is a, a really interesting tag team. Looked absolutely amazing. I think in their entrance, they need to be a little bit less choreographed. They do that thing where they've clearly thought about what they're going to do in their entrance. And I, I feel like because they're two very intimidating looking fellas, especially Brendan White, I think it would be much more effective if they if they came out and were a little bit more natural. But really, we know we're here for the destination everywhere thing, and it, it's it's all built towards this point. 
and I felt for a while that the split was coming, but actually I realised that they played it perfectly to this moment. Having the idea of oh, uh, sorry, Mills doing double duty and injuring his neck in the first match, that he overreached himself. They mentioned a lot that his nickname over the entire weekend, actually, they kept referring to him as True Grit Connor Mills, and that is what he calls himself. But he didn't quite live up to the nickname this weekend. He tried to do double duty stupidly, got himself injured, made some mistakes, and was dominated in a championship match later on. And he couldn't quite have the grit to get him through it. The person who did show true grit this weekend, if you want to judge between the two, was Oku. And I love that. I, what a great, what a brilliant little wrinkle that oh, that Mills just overreached. It's almost like he tried to replicate Oku this weekend. That he tried to beat Oku. And he couldn't quite do it. And if you're an insecure person, because you've had this before, the worst insults are the ones that have a little bit of truth in. You know, like when you're having banter with people, top banter with the lads in Nando's, and somebody says something, and someone can say something to you, and if it's if it's just silly and it's funny, you can have a laugh about it. But the ones that hurt are the ones that are a little bit true. I remember when I was writing for Voices of Wrestling, I still am, J. Michael, I, I am, I promise. Um, I was, and I do sort of, I review wrestling through different lenses. So I'd, I'd look, you know, the, the way you analyze literature. And then there would be, occasionally you'd get comments on it. And there was a few that stick in my mind. And they'd say, who does this guy think he is? He is so far up his own ass. And the comments that, they were the comments that I've remembered because it sort of makes you think like, yeah, I am a bit up my own ass sometimes, aren't I? You know? And it's like that here for Mills, you know, he, he's, he's had to face the facts that he isn't quite as good as Oku. And the way they played this was brilliant. They built for this traditional hot tag. Oku was building and building and building and building. And do you know what he did? Mills just booted him in the face. Tagged Oku in. And left. And that was it. It was done. He looked into the camera. There was no evil cackle. There was just that moment, and he played it so well, Mills, in his eyes. The way he was just... Not smug, I can't even describe the emotion. It felt like ripping the band-aid off for him. The way he looked into the camera was like he was just... Finally, I've, I've thought about this for months, and I've done it. I've committed myself to it. I'm just going to... you know. And, he, he just needed to send himself down that path and it was almost the relief that he made the decision. There wasn't relief that he's done it. It was the relief that now this decision has been lifted from his shoulders. And the greedy souls just came in and battered Oku and took the win. I, I, I am obviously certain that 
this isn't the end of the story. They're going to have to do something with it. There's going to have to be a match between Mills and Oku. But I have absolute faith that they're going to do a brilliant job with it. Absolute faith they're going to do a brilliant job. Because the way they've told it so far has been stellar. Absolutely stellar. I, 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 honestly, I'm, I've been so into this. I, I think it's great. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Then we had Chantel Jordan against Kanji. Again, I've. I've, I've made my thoughts clear. I think Chantel Jordan should have won this. I think Kanji's okay. I think Kanji is she's a unfortunately a little bit of a victim of circumstances. It felt like she was coming up and and do starting to make a name for herself just as the pandemic happened and then speaking out happened and everything was decimated and it, it felt like she was on a bit of a trajectory that was halted and she's not developed the way she should. So they're trying to play her off here as being a bigger star and more significant than she probably is. And I think what she needs 
is some time to go away and build back up. It's not that's not a done thing. That's not a forever thing. You can get that back. But I just feel like this was Chantel Jordan's time. I really do. I feel like it was Chantel Jordan that should have got this. She had she had to use a bit of a wrestling cliche. She had the momentum going into this. And Kanji just didn't really. You know, she she's got a bit of the progress about her. I think she needs to spend some time getting rid of that stink and and and, and developing herself a little bit more and let Shan- tell that Chantel Jordan story that I said. Um, the crowd was okay, uh, you know. I think Chantel does this great move where she's doing the boots, but when she's doing the last one, she delays it a little bit to make <laughs> the opponent think it's finished and sort of look up because they're preparing for this kick and then boots them, which I, I think's a lovely little moment. It was really brutal. You know, elbows from Kanji were cool, and I think Kanji is really good. I just think they need to think a little bit more about the hierarchy. I think Jordan should be moving up now. I think it's her time to go over a little bit, but the crowd was silent during this for big parts. I don't really know why. I I, I think this, this match and both wrestlers were better than the crowd gave them. I know that's probably a little bit of a a bit of an oxymoron because I suppose the argument in response to that would be if it was better, the crowd would have been into it. Maybe it's because there was a big emotional story beforehand, but I don't generally go for that sort of thing. I just think this deserved a little bit more noise and a little bit more behind it than than it, than it got. Then we had Luke Jacobs against Tony Deppen. Again, Jacobs is so over, but Deppen, do you know what? He just stinks at the import, doesn't he? He stinks of somebody who's been flown in to have a match and he's going to fly back. Luke Jacobs came out and he wants to do the fighting champion thing. So he says, look, I'm putting the belt on the line. I'm not going to have non-title matches. Let's let's do this for the championship. Um, you, know, you can tell I've been watching WWE, can't you? Let's do it for the championship outside the local medical facility. But when he made this announcement that it was for the belt, Tony Deppen barely reacted. He didn't sell the fact that he had now a bigger opportunity than he thought he had in front of him. And I thought that was a bit like, I'm again, I, I, I've been praising people for not being all brother, brother, but I'm going to come over a bit brother, brother here. Like, are you a professional Tony? Cause you've just been given a shot at a belt and you, you just still lacking around and being silly. I just thought that was a really weird thing to do. I think Deppen plays at being a pro wrestler. Apart from when the grappling started, because there was lots of great grappling here. It was a very solid Jacobs match. That confidence was there. Again, never looks like he's thinking. I just felt like it was a bit much at parts. And I hate to come over, again, I'm brother-brothering, I hate to come over all Rip Rogers, I really do, but I felt like the double count-outs and stuff were unnecessary. This didn't need to be 18 minutes, this could have been 12 minutes. It, there's a bit of a theme over this weekend that they're letting matches go too long, and that's a really weird thing to say because Red Pro are the wrestling fans' company. They're for the wrestling fans. So it's it's a weird criticism to say that there was too much wrestling. But it's about telling the story that's in front of you. And I think this needed a sharper, tighter story. I really did. It did build well, though. It really did. Um, I just hope that they make this cruiserweight belt something. I hope Luke Jacobs goes on a real run with it. Because 
how often do you get proper runs these days, especially in Brit rest? It feels like Red Pro do proper run. You're like Osprey's been on a run, and um, you know Oku's just come to the end of one, and it just makes such a. When Oku lost the belt, it felt like such a big deal, and I hope they give um, Luke Jacobs the opportunity to do that. Next, we've got something interesting to talk about. And before we talk about it, I want to read a quote from Will Ospreay's promo from the night before. I've sort of kept this for now. Because um, I say you couldn't really hear it, but I think this was actually uh, when they went off, um, they stopped the VOD before this anyway. But he said this, and this is uh, Tom McCarron, uh, somebody who was there, put this on on Twitter. And I think this is a really interesting thing to start off this next section with. Because Osprey said, regarding NXT UK talent, if you lost your job, then my heart goes out to you. But when you come back here, you wipe your feet at the door and you wash the dishes. Because this locker room are the ones who kept the lights on while you were gone. And that, to me, is undeniably true. And brilliantly articulate as well. For a man who often isn't very articulate, that summarises how I feel perfectly. And I really struggled to put it into words in the last episode, how I felt about these NXT UK stars coming back. Because what do you do? You don't blacklist them, do you? You don't boycott them. That's ridiculous. But... There's got to be a recognition there. And I wondered whether people felt the same as me. I wondered how the general BritRest fan would feel. And when Eddie Dennis came out to party hard, it kind of made me think that that crowd aren't really bothered whether Eddie Dennis has wiped his feet or washed the dishes. Because they went mad for him. And I don't really know why. I'm not an Eddie Dennis fan at the best of times, to be honest with you. I've got to lay that card out on the table. I've never really been impressed with him. I think he's fine at best. He's a perfectly reasonable person to have on your roster, but I'm not excited to have him around. And he was greeted like a returning hero. And I feel like maybe it was the live thing and you just get carried away. And there is, in on the one hand, a relief to see these people back. And if he's an old favourite of yours, having him back on the scene, yeah, that sounds good. You don't... You, people do things and make different choices and we've got to judge what we see in the moment. But for me, I'm approaching these NXT UK superstars, and I say that with the contempt it deserves, differently. I feel like each one of those people has an asterisk next to the name. Yes, what Eddie Dennis did was really excited, uh, exciting. Yes, the crowd got into it. Yes, having the back and forth between Mad Kurt and Gideon Gray and then coming out and, and battering Gray was, was, was really exciting and interesting. But that's always going to hang over these people, that asterisk. You went to NXT UK. That's always going to be a footnote on everything that they do. And I hope some of them understand that. 
when you're tweeting, grateful for this, grateful for that, thank you Triple H, thank you WWE, that you know that that asterisk is there. And that might not matter to you. And if it doesn't matter to you, that's great. I don't think my opinion and the people who think like I do, if you, you are more than free to dismiss that opinion and think I'm being silly. But it's you can't ignore it. You can't ignore the fact that these people went to NXT UK. It will always be there. It will always hang over everything that you do. And when those people are tweeting, again, like I say, about how grateful they are and all these amazing times they had in Enfield, I hope it was worth it. For them, I do. I hope it was worth it for them because that asterisk isn't going anywhere. Anyway, got a bit serious there, didn't I? Uh, Next match was uh, Slater against Speedball. Leon Slater really came across on Twitter as being a big star. People came out of this show, and when I was not just Twitter, but Discord and, and text and things and talking to people, people loved Leon Slater after this, and I'm really glad, because I think Leon Slater is brilliant. He's legit. He's got that effortless confidence. He's got the work to back it up as well, don't get me wrong, but he has got a star aura to him. Very rough, very new, needs the experience, but clearly someone we should be keeping an eye on. And I thought this match against Speedball Mike Bailey was really good. The speed, pardon the pun, of the opening exchange was breathtaking. The athleticism and the talent that was on display was brilliant. I really think Leon Slater is is someone to watch. I don't know if this match was the best way to get him over, though. And this is this is where I'm going to start to diverge from general consensus, I think. Because I think up till now, I've been on board with everybody about this weekend. Apart from Meltzer's crazy rating. But I think that's 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 just is what it is. That's his opinion. That's fine. I don't know if this was the breakout performance that Leon Slater needed. I think he was just a bit too flabby. We know as wrestling fans, that Leon Slater isn't going to win this match. Bailey is somebody that Red Pro use really well. They use him as someone who's that upper mid-card title challenger. And you can't beat those people too much. He's got to get wins sometimes. Yeah, he's going to lose the big ones, like he lost the night before. But he's not going to... He can't lose against Leon Slater. Because you need him to maintain that air. The problem was, this match was just a little bit too flabby and a little bit too long. It was 15 minutes and it should have been 12. And what they should have done was took the resilient fight back section out of it. I don't think you needed to tell that story yet with Leon Slater. What they wanted to do was tell two stories at the same time. One that he was resilient and one that is cool and exciting and his offense is amazing. There is time to tell that story of resilience. When you're presenting him as being this young firebrand, this young, exciting wrestler, it's perfectly fine for him to make mistakes and lose a big match at York Hall. You could have presented it in a way that 
Bailey didn't necessarily just win it on his own, that Leon Slater stretched himself and beat himself. Use that inexperience to tell the story that you're telling. I don't really think the resilience part of that was necessary at this point. And I, 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 this is why I'm glad that I didn't, I didn't record straight away because it would have felt really bad for me to come on and say that after Leon Slater has been lauded for for days afterwards, and he deserved it because he's clearly going to be a star, and he, I think he's great. I just think he was a little bit of a victim of the booking and the plotting of this match. I think he he, he could have been served better. I think he deserved a little bit better. The match itself was really good, you know, high threes. I'm not saying the match was rubbish, but I just would have done it differently. Then we've got the undisputed British tag team title, Sunshine Machine against the Velocities. Velocities have been really good, haven't they? They've been great. And I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial. I'm As much as I've enjoyed their run, and as much as I think they're brilliant, and I want to see them back, I want them to be back over in the UK sooner rather than later, I'm glad the run has come to an end. They've told a really great story with it. You know, winning the British Tag League, with losing the title shot, all that business. But I feel like the velocities are kind of having very similar matches every time. And I feel like that's going to be a controversial opinion. That's going to be something that people are going to disagree with. But you see the beatdown with the tag team partner nowhere to be seen. It breaks down into the tornado tag style. You see these amazing flippy moves. And it's always entertaining. But you need a bit of a break from those kind of matches. And I feel like I need a bit of a break from the velocities now. TK Cooper was brilliant here, by the way. I think that's something that really stood out to me. I kind of forget how good he is. But his speed is so impressive. He doesn't come across as a fast wrestler, does he? He's not somebody who you think of as being particularly quick. But he really is, and he kept up with Jude London effortlessly. I just think Velocities need a little bit of a shake-up. You know, even though, and I'm recognising this was two tag teams at the top of the game, smooth as butter all the way through, everything hit great, everything was innovative and exciting, I just need a little bit of a shake-up now. I think, again, I've said it a million times now, this shouldn't have been 25 minutes. To me, the barrier, I think, it used to be half an hour. But as I'm getting older, and maybe I've spent too much time watching G1s, but I'm starting to think like 20 minutes is is the limit now. I used to think that if you got to half an hour, you've got to really justify sticking around. And there are absolutely matches that do justify that. And I'm not one of these people that long matches are bad. I think there are plenty... And many of my favourite, favourite matches got... I mean, look, Okada against Omega, the hour draw. Like, one of the greatest matches of all time. And it was an hour-long draw. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a hard and fast rule. But I'm starting to reduce that limit. I'm starting to think 20 minutes is my limit now. To say, if you're going to go longer than 20, it's got to be something special. And this wasn't special. You know, maybe it's because we've seen this sort of thing too many times recently. 
Now's going to be the controversial bit because Ricky Knight Jr. was crown champion. He beat Will Ospreay. I love Ricky Knight Jr. Long-time listeners will know I've been saying he's a star. He's going to be massive. He's going to go global. He's going to be uh, one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And Red Pro have got him now, and they need to use him now and uh, be the place where he makes his name. That's what Red Pro can do. And he's going to do it. He's got this belt. He's going to make his name. He's going to be a worldwide star. This match got 9.18 on Cage Match. He got a 5-star rating in Wrestling Observer. Can't check Grapple because it's still not working for me. But I know it would. Be, I know it's going to be high. I didn't really like it, to be honest with you. I say I didn't really like it. Let, let me rephrase that. I'm not going to do my introspective voice. I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was borderline great. But I was disappointed. And the reason is really simple. Ref bumps. Two of them. I just... That, to me, is going to cap your match more than anything. The first one I could forgive. Osprey gave a hidden blade accidentally to the referee. So a new referee came out and they carried on the match. But the second one, it's too much. It's, too, it's you don't when you've got two of the greatest wrestlers in the world in the ring, they cannot tell a better story than they can by just wrestling. Does that make sense? That they would tell a better story by just wrestling. I just don't get it. Because, like, think about the start of this match. RKJ's eyes told more story than those ref bumps. The way he stared at Osprey. The way in the pre-match promo, which was great, by the way, and it's great to see how much RKJ's improved his promos. Because his promos used to stink, and now they're really good. He slags Osprey off. He's saying, your mum bought you a ring while I was grafting. This is all a game to you. You know, and Osprey responds with, it's not, I, I've, you've got more to lose than I have. Yes, I've got the belt, but if I lose this match, I'm going to still be in Japan. I'm still going to be in AEW. I'm still going to be a worldwide star. Whereas if you lose this match, you're going to be nothing. You're going to be nobody. That story doesn't need ref bumps. And they played this thing of the, just this battle of two arrogant wrestlers. And I really like the fact that, RKJ didn't blue-eye himself because he's been he's been leaning recently into that too much. He's been trying to play the blue-eyed baby face and he doesn't need to. He's over as a face without doing that. And it takes the edge off him. And the edge is what gets him over so much. So I was glad to see him bouncing around with a chair, headbutting a chair himself. You know, things like that. And they escalated this really well and the selling was superb. RKJ took an amazing bump on his back and he, he was selling it like with his hands shaking and I thought it was great and obviously Osprey selling is next level the way things would be on an elastic band they go from slow to fast in the blink of an eye and the way they started they stormed at each other as well at the start all these things were telling stories but then there was a ref bump 
there was a bit where Osprey got the belt and RKJ got the belt off him. He did, you know, the belt spot didn't work. So RKJ hit him with the belt. And then they did this spot where he had to hide the belt from the ref so he didn't think he'd have done a ref, a sort of a, a belt shot. But this is on telly, Ricky. This is being filmed. There's 2,000 people watching it. There are referees in the back watching to come out when... The, like, this is what I mean. It doesn't make any sense. The rules are important enough that when a referee gets knocked out, the referee needs to be replaced immediately. But then you want us to suspend disbelief for this weird belt spot. In a different context, that's fine. If you do that in NXT 2.0, that's fine. If you do that in WWE, that's fine. But RevPro are better than that. They're better than doing corny belt spots in the main event of a match that is the crowning of your new star. That is Will Ospreay losing the British title and putting over the next guy who is ready for it. It's not Will Ospreay just putting over someone out the blue. He's not putting Vader over for a laugh. He's putting over the person who is going to take this company into the next 10 years. And you're doing belt spots. Don't do it. Honestly, I can't tell you how annoyed I got at it. I just, just, I felt deflated when they were doing it. And I might be overreacting. And I probably am because 9.18 on Cage Match and five stars in the Wrestling Observer and every tweet said it was brilliant and everybody I spoke to said it's brilliant and everyone said it's Match of the Year and I'm watching it and you're doing belt spots. I need to calm down because my dog... I'm sorry, Jake. My dog has just gone to his bed. And that's his, like, I don't like this. I'm going to my bed. Like, when the hoover's on. So, I'm sorry, pal. <laughs> I, can't, I don't... I'm not angry, really. He's just wrestling. Oh, he's doing the sad eye. He's got this... I've got a big shaggy dog and he's got these big eyebrows. And you can see when he's... You know, they're doing that looking around nervously in his eyebrows. Oh, I feel terrible now. I feel like an awful person. So, I'm going to stop. I'm going to blame whoever decided to do that belt spot. You've upset me, dog. It's not my fault. I'm passing the blame on. You're making my dog upset. I mean, this was still a really good match. You know, this was, you know, it was, it was, it was four star plus, you know, but it just, like, why are you doing that? The closing stretch was amazing. The kickouts and the drama and the close calls, the believable close calls. And I'm saying they're believable in a match where, again, the outcome was under no doubt whatsoever. Ricky Knight Jr. was always going to win this, wasn't he? So, in a way, I came away a little bit disappointed. But I think, again, like we said, it's important that we look forward now. And that's how this was presented. There's been 10 years of Red Pro. And if I'm thinking about any promotion on the continent who I can who I would put money on to be around in another 10 years, it's going to be Red Pro, isn't it? Because ultimately what they do is prioritise the wrestling and they do things properly. Yes, I think they need a little bit of a shake-up. Yes, I think they've fallen into this great booking pattern of doing lots with a small roster, but I think they need to shake the roster up maybe a week or two before they do it. Yes, I think they need to, to shorten some matches here and there. Yes, I think they need to have some more dominant championship matches. 
But Mike, they're the best promotion in Europe, aren't they? And they're good. It's not best promotion in Europe as in they're 6 out of 10 and everyone else is a 4. They're a great promotion to watch and a great promotion to follow. And I think that's why the belt thing wound me up so much because I thought you're better than that. You're better than that. This should have been better than that. Doesn't need to be a 35 minute match. Take the belt spots, the ref bumps out, have it 25 minutes and just have the match and I'd have given it 5 stars. I really do think that. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. You, you know, you can't speculate like that. But I think take that stuff out. Because like I say, the excitement at the end was from, from them doing moves and wrestling and kickouts. That's where the drama came from. Anyway. Should we go to Cardiff? Go on, let's get it out of the way. If, you, if you're logging off now, thank you for listening. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Hope you enjoy your cheese and crackers. Uh, if you're sticking around, let's go to the dark side. So, the WWE, let's get this done. I think what the problem is, I made the mistake of watching... SummerSlam 92. And that show's got its ups and downs. I'm not as big on the main event as a lot of people are. uh, But I think it's a really great, enjoyable show. For me, one of the best moments in wrestling is the, oh, what a rush! And the Legion of Doom coming out uh, on the motorbikes. I I think that's uh, a moment that's imprinted on my mind as just being cruel as anything. But it just felt much more natural. You know, it, it... and WWE now is is just built on fake and false and weird and strange and constructed. And nothing made me feel like that more than the pre-show. You've got this show in the UK, the first major show in the UK in 30 years. And the pre-show could have been anywhere. It was a CGI backdrop. Do you remember in the old days when they used to go out into the cities? Like, I remember I was talking on the Voices Wrestling people the other day and, like, they'd go into, like, American cities like Philadelphia and you'd learn about all the Liberty Bell and, you know, Lex Luger would do his tours and there'd be something relevant to where it was and it'd make it feel like more of an event. It'd make it feel like, hey, look, this is where we are, this is where we've gone and this is what's happening right now in this moment. And it felt current and real. And because you could have just picked this event up and essentially put this pre-show anywhere and put the build anywhere, it just it it, it takes away, doesn't it? And it doesn't use what's what's in front of you. And actually, the one thing that did differentiate this was the crowd. The British crowd are very unique with the chants and the singing. And they didn't allow that to breathe. One of the things they do, which I find so confusing, is the CG thing. So you've got this great shot of the crowd, and then you'll have CG birds or a big CG Roman Reigns covering everyone up. You don't get more excitement from that than you do from an organic, excited crowd, surely. Like, why is that? I guess, do you know what? I think the answer is, is one's more controllable, isn't it? You know, it doesn't... <laughs> I think ultimately the WWE have got used to having crowds sat there, bored out their mind. So they cover it up with CG stuff. But this crowd weren't. I'd have made it audible. If I was the great Triple H, Giant Baba 2, I'd have called an audible. 
The first match was Madcap Moss and the Street Profits against Alpha Academy. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly. I felt like a dirty Tory during this match because I actually really liked it. It was just that he was a spot fest. It was good action. Um, Otis saying, oh yeah, is very American, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, we've got an American company. And in some ways, I feel like with the WWE, if they lead into that a little bit more, just the stupidness of it, I'd get into it a little bit more. Instead, it's just rubbish, isn't it? If if it was like the land of the giants and it had a bit of a a character to it, I could choose not to watch it and I could still have an opinion on it, but at least I could kind of respect it. You know, like the way NXT 2.0 was just a promotion of incredibly attractive people, of beautiful women, beautiful men. Everyone's got chiseled, perfect bodies. None of them could wrestle, but it didn't matter. It was like the Hollyoaks of wrestling. You can respect that, can't you? You can respect it from a distance. You can respect it by not watching it, but you can go, hey, at least I know what this is. Lucha Underground, load of rubbish, but at least I knew they were committed to the spooky wrestling stuff. Well, what's WWE? Quite like Madcap Moss, he had good energy to him. Next up, we had a six-woman match. Asuka, Bianca and Alexa against Dakota, Io Shirai and Bailey. Five great wrestlers. Um, why couldn't Bailey just go with the chant? You know, they did the hey, hey, Bailey, But I feel like what a heel would have done, a good heel, was use that to denigrate the faces. I don't know. I need to ask Rip Rogers. Rip, if you're listening, will you let me know? Was she a good heel or not? Because I felt like going, yeah, shut up. I don't need you anymore. Was a bit heel 101, wasn't it? Like, you turned your back on me, so I'm turning. Like, all that nonsense that they do. This match was good. It was just a little bit too long. And there was all those moments where there was good spots going on, but you could see the people who aren't involved in the spots lying around in the background. And this was the moment where I found a whole new respect for people like Shake Them Ropes and other podcasts and, and, you know, post-wrestling stuff who have to review this stuff. Because what do you say about it? Alexa Bliss was rubbish. Everyone else was all right. The match was fine. I put my tea on while it was on and could still kind of keep up with what was going on from the other room how do you you analyse this it's a weird this Triple H thing because I I can feel his his, as much as I'm not a huge fan of his changes yet I can feel his influence on this because it was a little bit more work ratey than normal but in a way it kind of served no masters then because it wasn't really sports entertainment and it wasn't really wrestling. I just think it'd be one or the other. And WWE's been like that for years, hasn't it? I mean, sports, it's never really been sports entertainment. Next up, we had the by far the best match, Sheamus versus Walter. And this is one to watch. It really is. This, is. this is a really great match. I think this is going to be on match of the year lists. But before we get to that match, Pete Dunne. Butch has the nerve to go on Twitter and tell people what is and is not the way while bouncing around like that on telly. You should be ashamed of yourself, Pete Dunne. Jesus, man. You know, he's someone, I talked about the asterisk. People, you know, that Eddie Dennis might have an asterisk. You've got a line through your name, sunshine. Don't come back. Tell you what, tell you what isn't the way. The way is not back to... Brit, anyway, never mind, you know what I'm saying. Um, this was 
exactly what you expected it to be. This felt like, and Ian Hamilton made this point, so I've got to give him the credit for it. Great point from uh, BatBodyDrop.com. It felt like an old school Walter match. It felt like Walter was just dragging someone around and beating them. It would have looked better if he'd looked like old Walter, but he didn't. He's Gunther now, but the work was there. and I, The way he battered Seamus, Seamus looked like he'd been in a war. His chest was bright red. He had a big gash on him. He was absolutely clubbed. And I loved just that really simple story of Seamus then getting his comeuppance and clubbing Walter all the way around the arena. You know, we've taken all these chops, or then Walter got clubbed on the announce table, on the ropes, on the barricade. It was a really simple story told really well. And Seamus is great. He is really good. It's been pointed out by cleverer people than me that it feels like we've we've written off Seamus a thousand times and he's having the best run of his life. He is definitely WWE, isn't he? Like, he's not going to go anywhere else. All these hopes of him popping up on a G1. He isn't going to do that. He's WWE to his core. It'd be like Bray Wyatt popping up on a New Japan. It'd just be weird. But if he's allowed to have matches like this, I think we can see a, a, a renaissance for Sheamus, the, the renaissance that he deserves, because I thought this was really good. One thing I noticed as well is that I really liked is the lack of pinfall attempts. So when they started doing pins later on, they were really meaningful. I think there was a couple of like insulting pins early on, you know, like that, oh, I'm just going to get rid of it. More of like they play it off as that psychology, but there was no meaningful pinfalls until later on. I really like the fact that Walter botched his power bombs as well. The story at the end of this match was really good. Walter couldn't quite do the power bomb, and it's weird to think this, but it's one of those moments where botches added to it. Like he was trying to get this power bomb, he couldn't do it. He couldn't get all of it. He, you know, Sheamus kept landing sort of on his back, which probably in real life hurt more, but in kayfabe, he wasn't getting the move off, and then ended up getting really frustrated, using that energy, screaming, and then knocking his block off with a massive clothesline and getting the pin, and I thought the end, that story was great, this was a really great match, and you can't replace sometimes that spectacle there's a board game called Twilight Imperium and it's a really long board game, it takes nine hours, and you build up a space civilization. And there's always this desire from board game designers to do Twilight Imperium in two hours. Because Twilight Imperium takes like eight, nine hours. But you can't do it in three hours. It needs eight, nine hours to feel that epic. And sometimes you need 60,000 people in a room to make something feel epic. And it really did. Next up, we had uh, Shayna Baszler versus Liz Morgan. Shayna Baszler was wearing Imperial Fist gear. She dedicated her gear to Rogel Dawn. Probably my favourite Primark because my Space Marine chapter are the Black Templars and they're a successor chapter from the Imperial Fists. Have you stopped listening? Have you, did, you, did you switch off? Have you no idea what I'm talking about? Look it up. It's mid. You'll find a hobby that is fantastic. Um, costs a lot of money though. Uh, I thought this match was alright. You know, Liz Morgan, Liv, I call her Liz, Liv Morgan is rubbish, isn't she? You can't play the underdog on a championship run. Or very few people can. If you're Michael Oka, you probably can. But if you're Liv Morgan, you can't. She just, they need to switch it. And it's, frankly, we're talking about how she needs to present herself as a champion. She shouldn't be the champion. 
And Shayna Baszler's right there. I think Shayna Baszler's great. And not just because of the Warhammer thing. She's genuinely intimidating. I think she's really good. Then we had Finn Balor. I don't even want to talk about this. I just... Finn Balor and Damian Priest against Rey Mysterio and Edge. I have no nostalgia for Rey Mysterio and Edge. Seeing Edge do 619s means nothing to me. Watching Edge storm out into the arena like a cat does nothing for me. I mean, what do you say about this? It was garbage. I get that it was exciting. I get there was big moments in it that were really good. But what are you doing with Dominic? I have to add my voice to this because I know everybody says it. I'm I'm never going to say anything that's going to set the world on fire. Dominic is a bad wrestler. He's got a bad look. He's got no charisma. And look at the story of this match. Rhea Ripley's trying to get to Dominic and it's this feud, they're messing with the man's family and all that business. Dominic, all the way through this match, was helping his dad and Edge. He was being battered by their opponents and then just... This is not a story. This is just things happening. These are little ingredients that you can have in a story, but cooking isn't mixing ingredients in a bowl any way you want and whisking them up, because that way you get shit pancakes, and that's what this match was. Utter trash. Insulting trash. 60,000 people went to see that. Then we got Riddle against Seth. And again, this is the same thing. That bright... Well, I don't know how I feel about the build to this match. Because the whole thing was, wasn't it, that Seth Rollins brought a man's wife into it. He's like, oh, your family left you and all this. And and that's, and you know, you won't let you see the kids. And if you, if you go on David Bixenspan's Twitter, that's true. And I wonder if his wife and kids want to see their very real lives played out by somebody who's coming out dressed as Elton John in a WWE ring. And then for them not to even have the decency to tell that story for the vast majority of the match. Like, you know, Riddle's coming out with a smile on his face, high-fiving, hugging people who are wearing his shirts, flipping his flip-flops off into the crowd. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Even little things like you're throwing people into the barricade and expecting me to believe it's the barricade's padded. I can see that it's got padding on it. I went to school. I know what jumping off apparatus onto padding feels like. Doesn't hurt. And I'm disabled. Well, think on. Closing stretch was good because they actually told the story. You know, it actually felt like a bit of a blood feud. Then we had Drew McIntyre. Versus the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, the acknowledged one. Reigns was telling stories here. He dragged his entrance out. He had a look in his eyes and we're thinking, oh, he's he's on his own. Paul Heyman's been put through a table. The Usos are one of them's, I don't know. God knows what's happening with the Usos. They, They can't come. And then Drew might have a chance, mightn't he? And everyone's chanting and we're all really behind Drew. And what did these two workers do? 
to reward all these people for spending hundreds of pounds and giving up their weekend. They rewarded them by having probably one of the most boring main events of the year. What a boring match. There was a spear through the barricade. I don't understand. I don't understand. That's it. That that's the that that is the review. I don't understand. I could list things that I don't understand, but I, I just don't understand. The only good bit of this is Austin Theory, the terrible Austin Theory running to the ring and getting punched in the face by Tyson Fury in what didn't look like a pulled punch. The melodrama. I mean, the fans were into it by the end, to be fair, so maybe I'm the one who's out to lunch, but I don't think so. I don't. I think uh, it was so melodramatic in a draining, awful way. It was fake emotion. I wasn't feeling anything. I was seeing it. It was, quote, telling stories. Because they... And again, this is what's annoying about it is. Is that the whole start of this... I'm getting... I shouldn't do this to myself. But they're starting this by saying, this match is different because Roman Reigns doesn't have the bloodline with him. So what do they do? They find another member of the bloodline from NXT 2.0 and bring him in. They promise you something better than you've had for years and they give you the rubbish thing anyway. What a company. What a garbage company. And people are going online and saying it's better now because Michael Cole can talk about the Intercontinental Championship being invented by Pat Patterson. He can say wrestling now. He can say belt. Brilliant. Have a good match. How about that? How about you say championship? How about you still say medical facility, but have good matches? What about that? How's that for an idea? Bloody hell. Then Fury came out and did a speech which was profoundly uninspiring. He was supposed to pick Drew McIntyre up after losing the biggest match of his life. And if anything, it made me want to give up more. That speech, if that was me, if I was Drew McIntyre... I'd have been more likely to quit after hearing that. It would have tipped me over the edge. The dog's upset again. I'm going to stop. Rub, utter trash. And when they st- oh, my God. When they started singing American Pie. Oh, and, and Do you know what? Actually, if you go back and watch this, I wonder if they're going to put this up. I've seen speculation that they thought they were off air. And certainly, like, live reports, like, we in the Voices of Wrestling Slack people who were there live were saying oh, they sing, they've gone off air and they're singing American Pie and everyone was responding like oh we're, we're still seeing this like they've not you know Drew McIntyre thought they'd gone off the air and he wanted to lead people in a chorus of Sweet Caroline that Tyson Fury didn't know the words for so then they sung some Oasis song what I mean if... watch the Seamus Walter match skip everything else I've gone 15 minutes over. Let's wrap this up. I think on the next episode, we need to spend some time recentering ourselves somewhat. I've got a nice show in a library lined up, and we're going to talk about that. Because talking about WWE is upsetting. 
But talking about Red Pro is always a joy. So I hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, if you did, get in the Discord, uh, Voices of Wrestling Discord, and there's a Eurograps Express room. You can follow me on Twitter at Eurograps EXP. I hope you have a, a lovely fortnight, and I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.